Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. This show is intended for information purposes only, but we're not experts. We're just two guys within the Bitcoin community. Bitcoin is an experiment in the separation of money and state. You'll be surprised how many will support that. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 59. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I am host number two, the Host number three, Corey. And we're brought to you this episode by escrowmybits.com. It's fast, it's super easy, and it only takes three steps. All you do is register and deposit your Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. The seller ships the item. Yep. Buyer checks the goods, and then they'll release the mm-hmm. funds. And they also offer Bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate. So no matter where you are in the world, if your money sucks, if your money's good, they got you covered. They currently offer Bitcoin escrow on a chain peg to a fiat value using new bits. So there's no complex math at the point of sale because complex math is a drag. Right, Dimitri? It sure isn't for, for <laughs> me, but it is for most people. So uh, so they've got everything, and your funds are kept in a secure two of three multi-signature transaction where they hold only one key. Their goal is to make using escrow as simple as possible, unless you're Dimitric. And we want there to be no longer any excuses on why not to use escrow. So start the process, go to their website, and make sure you sign up for their newsletter. Uh, that's escrowmybits.com. So let's talk about Captain America. That shit was dope. That movie was the shit. Yeah, sorry guys. If you wanted to hear about Bitcoin, you're not gonna. Because we're gonna talk about Ant Man growing into a giant person. Shut up. I haven't seen the movie yet. Oh, shit. Oh. Damn, that's a pretty big spoiler. I'm sorry, Corey. If it makes you feel any better, it was spoiled for me too. I saw a stupid trailer on the internet. If it makes you feel any better, all our listeners listeners don't want to be spoiled either. That's true. Um, here, let me just spoiler: Samuel Jackson comes back and dies again. A shark eats him. A shark eats him. Yeah, he, uh, he comes in and they're like, "What, Captain Fury? What's this guy's name? What's his name?" Hello. Nick Fury. Nick Fury. Fury McFury face. What are you doing back Fury. here, McFury face? And he's like, I'm here to tell these motherfucking superheroes how to motherfucking act. And then he gets ate by a shark. And that's it. That's what everybody's raving about. So if you haven't seen Captain America, go out and see it. Anyway, we have some big one to talk about. Some things to talk about. Yeah, things first we should congratulate um uh, that Dow crowd sales being the most successful crowdfunding campaign to date. That's pretty big. Most successful for, for Bitcoin and oh. cryptocurrency. It's still number two overall. There's one more crowdfund ahead of it that does something ridiculous. I can't remember. Oh, really? Yeah, but it's number two oh, overall. Million? 150? Did you see that? Is that what it is? I don't know. I think it's 150 million. That's the, that's the point that the Dow needs to break oh. to be the, the best crowdfund of ever. That's odd to call it a crowdfund, though, because it's not quite. I guess it is a crowd of people funding a certain thing, but those people still have control over their funds. So when it's over, people may just take their funds out. Yeah, and that's it's, true. It, it, it drops. And that would suck. I I don't I don't 
I personally feel that a good portion, of, not a good portion, but a significant amount of people will just take their funds out whenever the creation phase is over because they changed their mind and they can't do it. Yeah. Um, I see or that when the, Or they, they read the first proposal and they take their funds sure. out because they don't see immediate benefits because it may be a long-term play or something like that. So, In my opinion, it's a very long-term play, like a 10 to 15-year play because oh, – the proposals have to be voted and agreed upon, and then they actually have to be executed. And then there's no telling how long it takes for the execution to start reaping benefits in the form of profit or dividends by the Dow token holders. So if you bought a bunch of Dow tokens, then expect to sit on it for a while before you get your return on your investment. Um, but it depends look- on what else gets gets put in as a proposal. Yeah, I think if you just pers- if you're just looking for a ROI, it's going to be a long-term thing. But if you want to vote and you know be a part of propo- granting proposals, I guess, or writing them, or whatever, if you want to be a part of the the autonomous organization, then you're in there. If you buy tokens, so boom. But well, if you look at the the list of the highest crowdfunding projects, I think out of the top twenty-five. Five of them are Bitcoin and cryptocurrency related. So that's cool. That's because it's so easy. It's it's so easy to to fund something and give support to a project you believe in with cryptocurrency because it's just like handing them cash if they were sitting right next to you, but they're not. You're giving digital digital cash, Mm -hmm. and then there's a, a nice way of keeping track of how they get their money and then what they do with their money because it's cryptocurrency. So having that type of transparency and Mm -hmm. ease for new ways of funding things is, is probably going to be one of the larger reasons why people, why it becomes adopted. If there was a proposal to, for the Dow to build the make it rain app, I'd vote yes on that. Well, you can submit a proposal. (laughs) <laughs> submit the make it rain app proposal to the DAO. All right, we'll do that and <laughs> see if they build it. Oh no! It's the per- person who makes the proposal is probably the company that, like, a company will come to the DAO and submit a proposal. So we'd have to be a company or to something. submit a proposal for know. the make I'll it rain app. It's a little complex. Like, I mean, any anybody can submit a proposal. We need to I have a, if you have a token. So, and then it's just a matter of the quorum that's required to enact whether or not that that proposal gets gets funded or not. So, someone could just come in and say nope, and then yeah. stomp on your shit, and then it's it's fine that that to go through, which is exactly what would probably happen for the make it rain app. But if no one votes on it, then you lose your your uh, your proposal deposit, which you have to put forth. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Anyway, we need to get Mackie on the show because Mackie seems to be sending out a lot of tweets that say, "Like, hey, the DAO isn't that confusing. It, it just read stuff like that. Maybe you can clear it up for some people because it it's is not, confusing. It's not that confusing. I, mean, I think um, who was it? It was Mark, our friend Mark, that came up with, I guess, a use case for a decentralized autonomous organization that makes sense to a lot of people." And that's homeowners associations, HOAs, and what they do with the neighborhood's money. 
it's the perfect example of what a decentralized autonomous organization could be used for to better the way we already do something that sucks. Mm-hmm. You have a, a neighborhood, they enter into a neighborhood DAO, they put forth the, you know, the fees of whatever's necessary for that. And then they have control over where that money gets sent or how it's used and it's transparent. And if they don't pay attention and they don't vote, then they can't say anything about what happens then what gets voted on so on and so forth. So you can see something like that in the governance model of how you spend a certain amount of money can be improved by using something like a decentralized autonomous organization. Mm. I wonder if that homeowners association will vote for uh, lawnmower drones, which is a company that I've designed in my brain for a giant trailer full of lawnmower drones to stop in a neighborhood and then they go out and mow people's lawns and then people I'm just... pretty sure your world is like Bobby's world. Bobby's world? Like <laughs> the little <laughs> cartoon? D is just fucking Bobby. He just... He has this imagination that runs wild. It's ridiculous for a 30-year-old man. But that's, that's the world you live in. Well, imagine like a trailer just pulls up to a neighborhood and then all these lawnmower drones just come out one at a time and go mow people's lawns. If people want their lawnmower, they pay the drone. If not, then the drone stays in the trailer. This is what I think of. This is what I do. (laughs) Could be be a moneymaker. It wouldn't be. I don't think it would. It's not efficient. If it makes you feel any better, I've been reading a book that I'm going to apply to some type of segment on this show that I want to talk about. But one of the chapters, it's it's a book called originals. Um, it's about um, the trends and lifestyle choices or, or things that original people do people that like set trends and do significant things in the world and what type of living habits they have. And um, one of the things isn't only producing good ideas, but it was trendsetters or people who tend to do original things or can can be viewed as original and have original ideas um, have a, there's a statistical correlation with the number of tries they take and the number of ideas they put out with them being an original. So, and it's directly correlated to just a massive amount of tries and ideas. Mm. And most of those suck ass. Yeah. So, but one sticks and if it makes you feel any better you have a lot of shitty ideas oh yeah but one of them's probably really good one day <laughs> i have a lot of shitty ideas some of them are golden though but those like, are necessary it's necessary to have a lot of shitty ideas because one you're practicing making coming up with ideas and you're looking you're trying to practice looking at the world in a different way and solve a problem that people don't know exists yet like the Which, uh Tutoring the, te- the Uber, but for teachers. That was a good yeah. idea. That was a solid one. Well, anyways, we need to talk about Bitcoin because that's where we're here. Sorry, no, listeners. It's the, same it's the same concept. I mean, a lot of the people who are doing things and trying to come up with all these ideas. Right now, the Bitcoin space, we have a lot of shitty ideas that are trying to hit the market. And some of them, just, they won't work. They're not going to do anything. Or they're just a copy of something else. But... There's also a lot, and because there's so many great new ideas about how we're going to do things, 
it's a good possibility that one of the new original ideas of our world are going to come from the cryptocurrency space. But there's also a good chance that some of the big ones that are trying are going to fail. And that's okay. But it's kind of cool to be in the space at the time of all these things coming and going so that 10 years from now when the world works on the backbone of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, we're going to be like, uh, you remember when this thing got started, no one believed in it? Or like, do you remember that other thing that tried to do this and failed miserably? Mm-hmm. And we're going we're to have that story and that, and that memory. And hopefully we're going to be able to find our own niche and make some money off of it too. But there's um so one thing that I wanted to talk about. So it was uh consensus 2016. It's a very large, very large convention held about Bitcoin and I guess blockchain technology where people uh, from various businesses backgrounds come together and talk about what they're going to release, what they've been working on. And there were CoinDesk did an article. It was 10 quotes that defined consensus 2016. And I like the article because it kind of shows you uh, that Bitcoin is maturing. Uh, it's not so much just a play toy for cyberpunks anymore. It hasn't been for some time, but now it's, it's becoming even more and more emboldened that Bitcoin is serious and needs to be taken seriously. It's a big deal. And now this, the Civil War, see how the theme comes back around. We talked about Captain America, but it wasn't for no reason. Is that there's blockchain versus Bitcoin, and that's been happening for a while now. Um, but there's no telling how it plays out, but I believe most of us think that blockchain is just like a Trojan horse. Because as soon as these companies get into making a blockchain, they're going to quickly find out they need to be able to communicate with Bitcoin. Because it's global and it's already the standard. So we're going to go one quote at a time, basically just hash, hash, hash and podge. It's not a thing. I just made up a thing, but we're basically going to hash it out on one quote at a time. These are the 10 biggest quotes from, uh, consensus 2016. You guys ready? As written by coindesk.com. As written yeah. by coindesk.com. Yeah. We did not write this, but they're good quotes nevertheless. So. The first, uh, distributed ledger shares whole, wow, really? That's what he said? Distributed ledger shares, huh? So you have 10 more of these. Distributed ledger <laughs> shares hold the promise of immediate clearance, immediate settlement, and bring about dramatic increase in efficiency and speed and an increase in commercial transactions, of which Delaware is known. Who said this? It was a keynote address from the governor, Mark Hill. I'm assuming he was the governor of Delaware. Why would the governor of Delaware be there? Hi. Uh, I'm in. What did you say? It's an old Wayne's World joke. Oh. Uh, so basically what this is just a quote saying that people are obviously a little bit ignorant as to what Bitcoin is if he starts out saying distributed ledger shares. Well, no. Uh, what it, a, good, a good part about this that people aren't, I guess – lay people or people who aren't familiar with with cryptocurrencies and bitcoin space um who are but are familiar with fintech which is consensus is really about like a, a big financial technology uh meeting or uh, conference um the settlement and the clearance of a trade takes three days now t plus three trade plus three right where and 
what there's what people are trying to kind of get through to a lot of these financial technology people is that the promise of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is that is that it's immediate. All those settlement and the and the clearance of a, of a trade is immediate. This is and the efficiency increase you gain by getting rid of those three days and everything that has to happen in those three days is ridiculous. And he's saying that we understand this and we're trying to like, we're trying to make our governance model become more efficient based on this type of efficiency, mm. which is mm. good. It's a, it's a, it's a government type thing trying to tap in. It's a regulator and, not being ignorant to the fact that he needs to upgrade his current systems. Upgrade your shit. Upgrade your shit. Exactly. Can be driving around on no damn 1940s engine here in the 2016s. Anyways, uh, next quote. Or Cello, did you have anything to add to the commentary on that first quote from Consensus 2016? Nope. All right. So, <laughs> number two. <laughs> Standardization is uh, one of the things that people and business people especially like to talk about. It's a bit removed from the standardization needs of developers. I sometimes think, okay, where do we even start? How do we even know what kind of standardizations people are looking for? Okay. This was said by Vitalik. Vitalik Buterin. Um, everybody knows, uh, Captain V, Captain VB from the Ethereum squad, the founder of Ethereum. And he may, he brings up a good point and that's Bitcoin doesn't have any standardized protocols just yet. It is a protocol, but there's no protocols on how to use it and what those codes are and what are the standards for when you're building something on the blockchain network. So... What do you guys think about that? I mean, the internet has standards because obviously if something's wrong with the website, you get the error 404, you know, something's not right. And there's all sorts of other errors that go on. But Well, I think there needs to be a problem first before you talk, start talking about standardization. When you talk about standardization, you're really talking about what's the minimum that you need in order to get something done uh, so that people can efficiently talk to each other and communicate based on some standard, right? Standardization. I, I don't feel like it's a minimum. And, I feel like standardization. Well, it depends on what you're talking about. Standardization is saying this is the format we're going to go forward with. This is how things work. This is the normal operational mode. But you don't come up with a standard unless you have a problem that needs to be solved based on an inefficiency. And with business people, they, I don't know. I think they just they like saying this word standardization. And the business aspect of standardization is very different than what he's talking about in terms of developers. Developers need standardization to interoperate and make their code work. Mm-hmm. Like your protocol is a standardization. Standards but you're talking are... about businesses and standardization. It's very different. They and need to avoid... It's an emergent idea. I agree. And they need to avoid like reinventing the wheel. Um, just give the technology time to evolve and give developers time to create their products. Cool. I mean, standards, standardization is for efficiency's sake. And so everybody's on the same, everybody's playing on the same ball field. That's what standards are for. Yeah, but you could, if you move to develop standards that mirror 
or reflect existing standards that are already in place for other technologies, then you're just wasting time. It's too much standardization. Over yeah, it's too much. It's frontier, man. Do what you want. It's a wild okay. west. Go fuck yourself. At some point, there have to be standards, though. There have to be. Yeah, there will be, but it's an emergent property. It needs to evolve over time when you have a problem. There's no problem with creating things and inventing things and communicating right now. We can all use the Bitcoin protocol. That's fine. That's a standard we can use. If, 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 if what you want to do doesn't fit within that standard, use a different protocol. Use the Ethereum protocol. That's got standards. Use that. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's whatever. <laughs> they're, they're, they exist. We don't need to worry about creating new things so that people feel comfortable with the words and what things do. Because the things that are going to be created that change the world, people aren't going to be comfortable with for a little bit. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Well, on to the third quote. This quote, I believe... Uh, well, let's see who said this. Wall Street calls it CEO. Paul Vagina. I think it was Balaji Srinivasan. Srinivasan. Can you guys help me with that one? Balaji. You got it right. Sounds like you got it right. Srinivasan from... Uh, 21 Inc. Uh, everybody knows 21 Inc. is trying to change the world, make it look more like Blade Runner. Um, but he said, uh, that kind of situation is something where you can only expand a private blockchain so much until you get start getting into things that are in Russia or in China or in Iran or some region that is really not a fully trusted party. And this was in response to a question from a guy named Paul Vigna. Uh, Balaji was speaking about how he believes there are limits to permission or closed distributed ledgers. Um, and there are. Because as soon as it gets to a point where you start censoring someone or not uh, allowing certain types of transactions or certain types of information to flow through your blockchain, then it's automatically less useful than one that's just open and permissionless. Am I right or am I wrong on that? Yeah. Yeah. Right, it's and like what, I guess that what they're trying to say is that the pe- the the banks and a lot of the things that are trying to be created by permissioned blockchains or private blockchains, they're not for open use. They're only for the use and talk and talks or communication between a cohort of people. And if it's only to make their communication better and not an not outward, outward, outward facing thing. No, it it benefits the, the cohort using it. That's all that matters. It's increasing efficiency of something that's already being done. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Nobody gives matter. a shit about you being able to do what you do better. No, it's, they can do whatever they want to do better if they're going to continue doing the things that they continue to do. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Let them try it. And if it works for them, then it works for them. It doesn't hurt Bitcoin. If it they use it and it makes their shit better... And good, it, they, 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 can, they can offer better services. It's still going to be an issue of privacy if if they continue to operate the way they do, and that may be a problem for other people. So if they continue to operate that way, and then they come to an issue where people don't use their services because now it's a privacy aspect, and they can do the same thing with Bitcoin and, and, feel, and feel trust, then the banks have to adapt again. Which and now it's just easier. They can just switch to an infrastructure that's Bitcoin, and they've already gotten pretty much halfway there with what they've tried to build. Hmm. 
I don't know. I don't really give a shit about private blockchains. If, if, if it helps somebody do something that they're already doing better, good. They're, they're at least getting an aspect of, of the idea. What's great about Bitcoin is it's, it's, it's open source software. It's openness. It's, it's trustless so that you can trust it. Mm-hmm. Which is something that is, that's, that's the real mark of what's going on here and why it's important. It, the, you know, blockchains are blockchains or blockchains who gives a shit. It's the fact that it's completely a trustless decentralized global network. That's yeah. also efficient, fast and cheap. Absolutely. So, well, should we, uh, should we do our guess and come back and finish the list? We're on what? Three. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, not the fastest segment. Yeah, it's a very slow segment. It's actually (laughs) just an entire episode is what it is. Well, anyways, uh, yeah, let's get into the interview. Go ahead and hit us with that hot introduction, Shoa. Well, I know this is kind of like a departure from what we talked about, but I thought some interesting stuff is going on in New Delhi. Um, The busting of an international syndicate of debit card cloners uh, has unearthed the use of bitcoins to avoid detection. So the money siphoned from ATM machines is converted into cryptocurrency and distributed among people involved in the crime. Uh, the gang is active in New Delhi, and these base stations serve as links for their transaction deals to be successfully executed uh, using virtual currency trading bitcoins using the Hawala trade. And I didn't really know what the Hawala trade was, and uh, and then I started thinking, well, wouldn't it be cool if we kind of got an update on how Bitcoin's doing in India? So Abby Aryan is uh, someone that I follow on Twitter and thought she would be a great representative of Bitcoin to tell us what's going on in there. And, um, you know, she she works to educate and enable individuals and businesses to leverage Bitcoin and blockchain technology. I mean, that's her job. Uh, she's passionate about new technologies, um, artificial intelligence, virtual reality. Um, she just wrapped up her position at CoinSecure, uh, the leading Indian Bitcoin exchange, as their chief business development officer. And um, she was nice enough to come on the show uh, and talk to me and Corey. Yeah. Sweet. Sorry I missed out on this one. But nevertheless, here it is. I'm ready. All right. Uh, well, as someone with your background in math and machine learning and AI and code, I think it was only a matter of time before your interest in Bitcoin kind of emerged. So uh, I wanted to ask you first question, where did this all start for you? So it started all for me in November 2013. I was in London and it was the winter season over there. One of my lecturers actually proposed a dissertation topic around the security of Bitcoin. And for me, it was the first time I had heard of Bitcoin in November 2013. So I went on to Google and learned more about it. Uh, it was just the same time when the Bitcoin prices had shot up to approximately 1200 US dollars. And many of my friend of friends and a lot of other people became overnight millionaires. So at that point, it was really one of the most hyped things. And that's how it got my attention. But at that point, Bitcoin to me was not a sustainable alternative currency, but rather a great investment vehicle, which you know somebody would just put money in, invest smartly, and maybe a lot of make a lot of money out of it. 
For those unfamiliar, like what what are India's major payment pains? so you know uh, after after doing that thing once i realized at that point when i saw uh, bitcoin it was more like an alternative currency but things started to change as i came back to india towards the end of last year so before going to london i barely ever went to a bank myself which means i really never had to you know face any sort of trouble and when i came back to india last year towards the end of the last year i had to manage my own finances because obviously now i'm a grown-up my dad would not do that anymore for me so i I came to realize three major payment pains in india the first one is uh, related to the banking cards the second one we'll talk about is the remittance and the third one is uh, the property market so for the first one, after returning to India, I was trying to make an online transaction and my transaction was denied. And I learned that the Indian government has unauthorized all the Indian debit cards to make international payments. So that means you cannot make international payments with any Indian debit card, which totally sucked and which was a concept <laughs> unknown to me when I was in London. I can imagine, wow. And payment, uh, PayPal as a payment option is barely famous in India. Nobody, most of the people do not even know about PayPal. And plus the transaction cost with PayPal are always five to 6%, which is almost crazy. And so the only option you're left with is a credit card. And a credit card is very interesting in India. So it's, it's very much like you may, you go to a bank, you tell them, I want to have a credit card and they tell you, you know, you need to fill in this application. You fill the application, you submit it, and at the end, you either get the credit card or you have no clue what the hell did happen with your application. Unless you call the banking staff every day and confirm, what's the status of my application? What's the status of my application? And that to me, it's more like a lottery system. Like if you (laughs) win it, you get to know, okay, I got my credit card. But if you don't win your lottery, you barely get to know who won the lottery. You know, nothing to be concerned with. And that's, to me, you know, quite complicated. Uh, And not just complicated, but rather a pain in the ass because how are you supposed to then make international payments? You don't have a debit card, you don't have a credit card, and PayPal is almost, uh, you know, not an option everybody can use because the first thing is the transaction cost is really high. So that's the first pain, making international payments. The second one is remittance. So as I went to London, the price of Indian rupee declined from uh, one pound for 84 INR Indian rupee to 106 uh, INR for one pound, which means a decline of 26% over just a couple of months. And that's a terrible situation for anybody to, you know, face, especially when they're trying to apply for their visas and they're trying to maintain a certain amount of money in their bank accounts because you have to show a certain amount of money uh, to be able to go outside that, okay, I can fund my tuition fees and stuff. And, you know, if you look at the charts of how the Indian rupee has done as a currency against the U.S. dollar, in the past 30 years, it has declined by more than 
So that all still being fine, you know, we can make peace with our currency the way it is. Maybe it's declining, but it's still our currency. We'll make peace with that. Uh, but then said, you know, how do you even send that money outside? To, so to send that money outside, first thing is go to a bank. The second thing is for a crazy amount of paperwork in a bank, you know, spend three, four days actually collecting that paperwork, then go to a bank, submit all that paperwork. Third thing, return home. And as you finish this three steps, now the bank takes something around three to four days for the transaction to be made on the other side. So the other person gets in, in something around four to five days. And the banks charge you three to four, five percent in transaction cost for transferring funds at an end space. Wow. Which is, which is not the case with Bitcoin because the payments are like super quick. The third thing is real estate. So let's come to the property. From 2012, so in 2000, uh, 2008 to 2012, it was depression all over the world, right? Oh, yeah. Financial depression. So from 2011 to 2014, real estate in India completely froze. There was not enough liquidity in the system. The property prices went down, which means for any real estate, uh, for any person to make any investment in real estate, uh, it was not very reliable if you're making a short-term investment. Second, it wasn't very profitable. And if you really want to, say, cash your money or you know find it in liquid form, say you have an immediate urgency if you need to make an immediate payment for something. Say you're building a house and you really need urgent cash because you could not get a bank loan. Then in that case, it's really hard to sell a property, especially during those periods which is where Bitcoin comes into play because it's always liquid. Holding that much uh, money in a bank uh, in liquid form is not really advisable because obviously you end up paying a lot in interest rates, but interest rates do not hold with Bitcoin. So you can hold everything with Bitcoin in liquid form. So it's, and you it's can, part of... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. And you can sell it just any time. Maybe you will make a little bit of loss, but the thing is, at least you have money at the end of the day. And these are the type of things that you, I guess, presented to people as part of your last job when, when you were trying to sell Bitcoin in the sense where you're convincing people to try Bitcoin and fall in love with it. Is our, I guess your process and how you hope to do that was kind of presenting these problems to them. Uh, yeah, mainly it was presenting these problems because for most of the people, you know, over 40, uh, these problems do not make a lot of sense. But for somebody, you know, around uh, from 18 to 30 years old, people who live in a much more globalized world, these problems become a big because they want to have the independence at all times to be able to use their financial assets and to be able to use their money, the, the, one, the thing that they earn without having to conform to any sort of restrictions. Okay. Well, if, if, I, take, if I take age out of the factor, you yourself believe that it's, it's not so much about the product, it's about the seller, and that people will buy when they are ready to buy and not when they're ready to sell. What was your success rate on converting people and them falling in love with it versus them shrugging it off or thinking it was unnecessary? 
So I'll give you one very interesting number. With CoinSecure, like in one single year, we had something around 4,000 customers. But one of the main things which happened after I joined the company, uh, there was this unfortunate news in the Bitcoin industry in February, and after which a lot of Bitcoin companies did shut down in India. Even despite uh, all that news going around, our company still made 38% uh, more adoption. So we got 38% more users, which is like a huge number. That's awesome. In a single month. So let's, uh, let's just switch gears. Let me talk a little about a bit about the Hawala system. Um, Hawala is, a, I guess, an undocumented transfer of money. For instance, if someone wants to send $1,000 from the U.S. to Bangladesh and vice versa, Hawala system would not would net off the transaction and provide money to both parties. On the surface, mm-hmm. that sounds that sounds great, but the the network for decades has been laundering millions with no record at all. Bitcoin can actually stop that. Is that true? Yeah, it can stop because most of the companies in India as well as internationally follow strong AML policies, which means they do uh, background KYC checks and all that on people, allowing them to verify a genuine customer identity. And only after you verify your KYC, you're able to actually make a transaction on the exchange. So despite the fact you can actually hold a Bitcoin wallet, you cannot make a real transaction till the point you do not verify your KYC. That's the first point. The second one is every transaction is transparent and trackable, unlike cash, because you give cash to somebody and that person might say, well, I never received it. But that's not the case with Bitcoin, because every transaction that happens on the Bitcoin network goes on to the blockchain and blockchain is a public, transparent, open ledger. So it's not hard to pin down any anomaly if it ever happens or any transaction, any sort of wrong transaction which you doubt, you know, this could be something wrong. It's very easy to uh, track those things. And the second thing is uh, one of the main reasons, not maybe not one of the main reasons, if we don't consider the black uh, the terrorist and all these group of people, if we consider the normal people who are involved in Hawala, one of the main reasons why they are doing this is because they want to avoid paying high conversion fees by paying a little bit less commission to the Hawala dealers. With Bitcoin, the, uh, the transaction costs are almost minimal. It's 0.1%. So, uh, you know, it's, they are always going to save money by transferring rather in Bitcoin than going by the route of Hawala dealers. So they don't have to avoid the conversion fees when it comes to Bitcoin. Any other type of uh, enterprise blockchain solutions that are in need in India? Uh, One of the main uh, one is a general purpose government database. So uh, recently, like in India, there was this drive which happened something around uh, a year ago. Every Indian was asked to open a bank account. So even if people did not have enough documents, uh, the government sent almost committees to various villages and help everyone have an access to a bank account. Now, for all these people, the people who are illiterate and uh, people who do not know how to uh, do things, for those people, government has, you know, if the government ends up adopting the blockchain technology, then it's 
very easy for the government to be able to track the huge Indian population and be able to have every single document and know how many people are do have an access to banking system. Because without having access to banking system, they cannot even transact in Bitcoin. One has to have a banking account. That makes a lot of sense. And if, and if I'm listening to all of the benefits and solutions that you've given us, it's obvious that Bitcoin is the solution to and financial independence. But if I'm, I guess, focusing exclusively on women who have experienced financial constraints and have been excluded from traditional finance uh, in the Middle East, it might seem obvious, but how is Bitcoin empowering women specifically? So a lot of women in the Middle East and as well as in uh, a lot of countries, including some parts in India, uh, some Part where there's not enough education as well as Pakistan or Afghanistan uh, are not allowed to have uh, financial access. They're not allowed to have banks and they do not really go against their families. And in that case, you know, they have limited choice on what measures they can take, say if they're in an abusive relationship. They cannot have their own money, so how will they leave home? They will have to depend on that person to provide for them until the end day. And in that case, say if they could have a banking system or uh, say if they could have access to Bitcoin, which doesn't really need for them to go to a bank, they can just use the documents which are with them, verify everything, go online, everyone has internet at their homes. So just with the access of internet, they can have access to the entire financial system without having to go anywhere or without telling anyone. That's pretty That's amazing. Yeah, and for enterprise solutions, uh, because I work at the start of my career, I worked with an insurance company called LIC, Life Insurance Company of India. Uh, I see one very important application over there, and that is uh, claims of insurance. So, where these insurance companies face a lot of problems is false claims. So, with blockchain technology or with Bitcoin, People can have multi-sig wallets and the beneficiary verification can be done. And so the right beneficiary will or can receive the Bitcoin payment directly onto his Bitcoin address without having uh, it reach to a, a person who is not the right person to actually receive that amount. So that kills almost a whole lot of false claims. Okay, and you brought up your career, and I, I don't mean the pry, but I think you've you've parted ways with Coin Secure, correct? Yeah. So what's uh, what's next on the horizon for you? So the next, as I come from uh, a mathematics artificial intelligence background, so for me, it's building a bigger community of artificial intelligence and machine learning enthusiasts. So I'm trying to, currently I'm trying to fill the skill gap in artificial intelligence market because if you see at the, uh, the artificial intelligence companies out in the market, they really have a need for scientists. So you need to have postdocs or you know be somebody who has say three to four years of experience to be able to work in these companies. And a lot of people say students just out of their colleges or people who are say working in financial industry and who want to switch careers or people say who are working in fashion industry and they realize 
you know, everything's gonna become artificially intelligent and they want to switch careers. There's really no way out there or there's nobody telling them how to actually change their careers or how to mm. actually enter this market. So I'm just filling that gap, helping provide skills and credibility to those unicorns in the herd by providing them an opportunity to work on real projects, including the one that I'm building of my own, which is a highly intelligent behavioral uh, to-do list. And so that they can build the smart applications and devices that others can use. And the whole point is if they you know, go with an idea and they go with their experience to an incubator, incubators end up taking eight to 10% of your equity and say, you end up being successful, then it's almost like you ended up giving a huge chunk of your equity even before you did your seed funding. So that's that's one of the concerns that people always have. So I'm not taking any equity over here. It's totally a community effort. That's awesome because that's that's kind of how it works in the states where you get kind of get eight to ten people in a house, and if you strike lightning, the the guy who runs the incubator just kind of takes all your profits. So I think that's really cool. <laughs> I know I watched that series called Silicon Valley. And yes, yes. <laughs> and one of the main things is even for my own company, which I'm running with this project, it's called Delegano. I told my advisor, you know, I have no interest in getting an uh, investor any time on board soon. I'm going to make profits. So that's yeah. that's obvious, but I'm not getting an investor because what happens in this season of Silicon Valley is the person who started the company is almost replaced from his own position. And there's a person much more experienced who comes in his place and he says, you know, this is going to be the vision of the company and almost the company is a huge mess. <laughs> Yeah, that's a very good way to put it. It's it's definitely been one of those like that that series really puts it in in perspective of what you kind of don't want to do. Yeah. Um, we have one more question for you. Don't want to take too much of your time, but uh, we ask it to everyone in ten words or less. Can you describe Bitcoin? Uh, in ten words, it will be peer to peer. Transparent, decentralized, financial independence. All right. How many words was it? If we include peer-to-peer we'll -peer is three, that's seven words. So. <laughs> Good job. Okay. Thank you. And uh, I'll, I'll just mention one more thing, which I think I missed on, is when uh, I was talking about onboarding customers. So in India currently, there are two kinds of customers for the Bitcoin industry. The first one is a B2B market and the second one is a B2C market. In the B2C market, there are two kinds of people at this point. One are the early adopters and the second are Forex traders. So with Forex uh, trading in India, the thing is the Forex market is open from something around 11 a.m. in the morning to 4 p.m. or 3 p.m. in the evening, which means they have limited time to do trading. And after those hours, people have the time to do Bitcoin trading because Bitcoin is you know, a platform where people can trade almost 24-7. Yeah, that's mm. definitely true. It's something that we don't, I guess we don't really look into or talk about too much, but it's something that can definitely be a on-ramping utility for for people who don't have access to traditional markets. True. All right. Well, uh, thank you for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. We, we uh, greatly enjoyed talking to you. Absolutely. Thank, thank you. you.
Thank you so much, Marcelo. Thank you, Corey. And happy birthday once again. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> Have a nice day. Bye-bye. And... <laughs> you do the same. Yeah, it's it's almost like I have this uh, own reminder list, and I prefer my reminder list being a little bit smart. So you know, it just speaks up my name. It just says all those quotes and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes automatically on. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Have fun. Bye bye. It was fun talking to you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. We hope to Likewise. have you back sometime. Sure. And that was the interview with Abby. We hope you enjoyed it. A very, very brilliant person. Uh, doing great things. Just a naturally interesting person. And you'll find that's kind of the common denominator of the Bitcoin community. Is they're just naturally interesting people looking to do naturally interesting things. And that's why, uh, I mean, I fell in love with the community. Just great people from all around. If you have any questions, you can find them answered, and not only answered, but very like rigorously answered, and refuted, and tested in the community. I mean, it's just a great community, which is why Bitcoin has value, I like to think, because we've given it value, and then now we're putting that value out in the world, and the world's agreeing with us. But nevertheless, we're going to get back into what we were talking to before the interview, and that were these quotes, These these it kind of gives you a... I don't know, like uh, insight into what the Bitcoin world looks like from the very professional landscape. So we ended with a quote from Balaji, and now we're going into probably one of the more popular quotes, which was from the U.S. Treasury Secretary Larry Summers. And it was a during an in-depth question and answer sesh. But what he said is, is the blockchain technology going to be fundamental I think the answer is overwhelmingly likely to be yes. Is Bitcoin going to be a valuable store of value the same way as people use gold? I don't know, but I think that certainly the answer is no. Doesn't seem like the right position to take. That's kind of a big deal of a quote. Because it's saying like, hey, we don't know if Bitcoin is going to be as valuable as gold is. We don't know if it's going to be as monumentally important as gold has been. But to just rule it out as something stupid... That's something not to do. That's that's not a good position to take. So I thought that was the quote that stood out for me because it was like, wow, that directly refutes what old Jamie Dimon over at JP Morgan says when he's like, oh, Bitcoin's retarded. Blockchain is not retarded. So I like that. Quote. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's not there's not a lot I can argue with there or, or just to contribute. It's. It's it's becoming very clear from the professionals, financial professionals who aren't professionals in Bitcoin, that this is a game changer. And now mm -hmm. it's a matter of how will time play out? And what will evolve? Will it be Bitcoin or will it be something else if Bitcoin doesn't if Bitcoin fails for some for some reason we can't see yet? Yeah. But it's it's clear we're backing the right horse, or at least the right I don't know jockey or train. the right event <laughs> yeah like we're the one saying hey guys horse racing is awesome when everybody's like who wants to watch horses race and now it's like ha told you told if it's you not gonna be this horse it's gonna be a child of this horse pretty much 
this this horse has already won quite a few races in its time. We're hoping it can continue to run and win a lot more. But if not, it's going to be a child of this horse. So here's a quote from the co-founder of Open Bazaar about Open Bazaar, which is another thing that's maybe not clear to the community on what it is and what it does. But he says, is what is important to note is that we're not like eBay or Etsy, where we have a control of the full stack. We're a software development team who built an open source project. We created a tool. We encourage positive use, but it's really up to the actors in the network to determine how it is used with anything. And I, I guess he's just trying to say like, hey, if people are selling and doing illegal stuff on Open Bazaar, it's got nothing to do with us. All we do is make a tool. People can do illegal things with a hammer or they can do something really awesome with a hammer. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that people, people don't understand. They don't make any money off Open Bazaar. They created it because they wanted to create a community that then needs other uh, like add-on services fulfilled, which they then plan to make money off of. Mm-hmm. But the Open Bazaar platform, which is just a peer-to-peer market marketplace, so if you, your your store lives on your computer, if your computer turns off, your store isn't on the network. Which is something they're working on trying to fix, but, uh, yeah. and so it's they don't have control or they can't censor anything because there's no centralized servers for them to censor anything. If if Dickface McGee wants to sell Dickface T-shirts, he can do that <laughs> and no one can stop him. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's like there's there's no stopping people from what they want to do. You but you can filter it and not look at it. Yeah, that's true. So it's uh open bazaar I hope takes off. Um because it needs to. It's the the, the age of thousand downloads is not too bad. Yeah, that's not too shabby at all. Um and if you think of the amount of companies that could be successful from those hundred and ten thousand and the first thing they're gonna do is say, Oh, how are you, you know, doing so well over the internet? And they're like, Boom, open bazaar. Decentralized, uh, what, what would you call Open Bazaar? A decentralized merchant. Peer to peer marketplace. Peer to peer marketplace. Boom. So, uh, here's another quote that came from Elizabeth Rosiello of a Bitcoin payment startup, BitPesa. And this is the thing that I get excited about most on the show outside of like the political stances on Bitcoin, why you should use Bitcoin. And that's how it can benefit countries with shitty currencies. And it says, she said, if you think about a transfer from the U.S. to Senegal, you want to know what the transfer rate will be? They'll let you know in 14 days. That's kind of ridiculous. Imagine if you live in Senegal and you're trying to have a business run. You're at the whim of the people transferring money sometimes. You got to wait 14 days for a transfer rate? Like, what does that do for your business? How are you going to enter into the modern era of selling your goods and services over the internet and shipping them around when you can't even operate because you don't know how much your money is going to be worth? You know, this is where I think Bitcoin is the killer application because it is money. I mean, that's a fucking killer app, if you ask me. And now someone in Senegal can just say, hey, I can sell you this thing from Senegal for Bitcoin. We don't need a transfer value. You let me worry about the transfer value on my end. Here, just take Bitcoin or give me some Bitcoin. I'll give you the thing. 
So that's I thought that, that, that say literally what? that simple. Yes, it's literally it's that simple. Or you should probably escrow it because that's a way better idea because you don't know you don't know Tiffany from Senegal. Yeah, probably use Open Bazaar. That's probably better. Uh, but she's Bitpesa. Go ahead. Escrow your shit. Escrow your shit. Yeah, that makes sense to you. Uh, but she was from Bitpesa. This next quote is from Christopher Allen. Uh, works for Blockstream, which have kind of been like the, uh, I don't know. They're, they're not getting very good uh, vibes from the community lately. But it, what it's a lot of good developers. That's, I mean, I, I, you have to admit. Blockstream has a lot of very good, talented developers. They've got a, maybe, a, maybe a few crazy people. Yeah. But the, the, the net gain from Blockstream, I'd say, is, is positive. Well, what Christopher Allen says is that blockchain combined with identity is a two-edged sword. The best we can hold the powerful accountable for their actions, transparency, all the different types of things that happened 2008 crash, all that can be avoided with identity with and identity services on the blockchain. The worst is we weaponize identity for the powerless. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't see an application. I mean, I, it's not that I don't think an application like that exists and it's not true. It's definitely a possibility. I just can't think of one off the top of my head that's that harmful. Uh, for, I guess, for example, he noted how the advanced Dutch system of identification during World War II made it easy to carry out genocidal activities during the Holocaust. Okay. That's a pretty good example. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see something like that happening again in the modern age. I mean, I guess I'm not going to say there won't be more terror and evil in the world, and hopefully not. Efficient genocide. tools make evil more efficient. Yeah, that's true. That's the same with everything. Any any anything that you make that's powerful can be used for good or evil, mm-hmm. or you know, for malintent or for the betterment of humankind. I like to think and that. Go ahead. There's no you should you should continue to create cool things, and not not do it because of the potential of someone going to use it in the wrong way. I I like to think that there's only ever slightly like fifty fifty. If we could get philosophical, there's only ever a fifty fifty split between good and evil on the planet when we're talking about humans. And maybe, just maybe, slightly above 50 because the birth rate tends to be higher than the death rate. But that's not to say people can't be born evil. We still haven't figured that out. We're getting deep into philosophy. So we're going to get I out think, of that. I think dude, that's not 50-50. That's, that's, way too, that's way too much in terms of evil or you the bad. So? It's, it's, definitely, it's definitely more. People, in my opinion, are inherently good. It's just... Sometimes greed gets the best of us and we do bad things. There is no 100% one way or the other. We're all, depending on the scenario and the situation and who we're talking to, percentage, you know, good and bad. And it all has to do with what personal gain you're trying to get out of it See, and what you're willing to take advantage. One, greed is just one thing that makes people act bad. There's lots yeah. of other things. The, the, the range of human emotion is pretty large, but it's not 50-50, man. 
don't know. It's just, just the, the shitty people talk louder. A lot of a lot of good things go, that happen in the world that don't get talked about because it's we consider it normal and the right thing to do. And no one ever talks about the right thing to do. You don't hear that on the news. You hear shitty things, and so you it, it gets exacerbated into a point that it's not at a level where it currently is. But then, the, like I mean, nobody ever asks. Look at this cup. Is it three quarters full or one quarter empty? They I'm always out ask, of beer. They always ask the fifty fifty question. And then there's the it's, one douche in the audience. It's a false dichotomy, and I, I I don't think it's right. <laughs> this it's, is the one guy in the audience that says that cup is one hundred percent full of fluid, half being water and half being air. And you're like, get the fuck out of here, you douche. <laughs> Anyways. Um, let's go into the next quote and it is by uh, Munib Ali Blockstack Labs co-founder and he explains technical limitations of building an identity platform on the blockchain so deeper into identity he said until you solve decentralized identity you can't really build other services off of that this is the first problem that needs to be get, needs to get addressed but doing a simulation or proof of concept is very different from running a production system that's definitely true. So how do we, how do we, you can't run a lot of simulations on a production thing and then see if it's going to work because it's very, like you said, it's very different than having a production run. And then you have this other problem that if you have, if you're running a full-time production service of identity and you're holding your identity in a, in a, in a service that is a decentralized identity service or whatever, and it fails, well, fuck what do you yeah. do? <laughs> you know, one of those things that's like, well, if it fails, then you're screwed. But yeah. you can't build anything off of something until you have something that works. And doing simulations can only get you so far. So it's it's a it's it's a very difficult problem. But if it's solved, it'll ch- it's going to change the world. It's one another application using blockchain technology, if you will, that will change the fucking world. Yeah, Bitcoin has already changed the world. If you ask me, in my opinion, it's only a matter of time. There was a tweet that came out from, uh, I don't remember her name, but she said that Bitcoin is just another layer on the internet. And it's the the value of transfer or the transfer value layer. And then so I, you know, replied to her and then retweeted. I said, the only difference between this layer and other layers of the internet is this the only layer that you can invest in. Kind of like being able to invest in email back in the early 90s. Could you imagine if you could have invested in email in the early 90s? Yeah. Just, you'd just be sitting on just gold stacks. But that's what, that's what Bitcoin is. It's a layer of value transfer. And guess what? Put value into it. And should it become more valuable, one, it's being used by the internet globally, then boom, that's where your value is. One of the most used things on the planet. So, anywho, number nine. Um, disconnected from the digital currency, blockchain exists more like an intranet. Intranet was quite important, but the transformative value was only when all those intranets were connected to the internet. So, this is, of course, a, a metaphor that is very popularly used for the argument between permission and permissionless blockchains, uh, distributed ledger technology, and Bitcoin. Um, and it's, it's true in, in my, my viewpoint. I think it's true. Um, all these companies had their intranets 
AT&T had an intranet. Verizon had an intranet. I don't even think that was the name of these companies back in the 90s, but they had intranets, and it wasn't until they all started communicating on the internet that you saw some of the advancements you see today. Well, that's so. the same thing I was saying earlier about the uh, private blockchains. They can do whatever they want amongst themselves, whatever cohort besides they want to communicate and try and increase the efficiency. But if they want to go with the world and allow everyone to use the services that they want to offer, then they have to tie into the block to Bitcoin blockchain. Pretty much. It's the difference between permissioned and permission, permissionless ledgers and open. If you want to play with the big boys and talk to everybody, then you have to use the one everyone's using. And there no one and at this point, no one's going to use anything different because it's the most free way of doing things. That's demo- like it's yeah. democratic or decentralized. I don't know the right word to say, but it's the best one to use. Yeah, I feel like Bitcoin is getting all these advancements and these upgrades. And I really hope by the end of 2016, we have concrete upgrades like Lightning Network is out there in the wild working. Segregated witnesses out there in the wild working. Bitcoin gets this huge, huge bolster in its uh, infrastructure and making it easier to use. And by the time Bitcoin gets so phenomenally awesome, all of these private blockchains start entering the scene and they're antiquated. I would love to see that happen by the time, you know, Hyperledger comes on the scene or Chain or all these people building these huge private blockchains. By the time they're like, ah, here's our awesome blockchain. Come use it, please. Where everyone's like, you kidding me? This isn't even half as good as Bitcoin. So I really hope that happens. That would be funny. On to the last quote. And this is said by oh, another Blockstream. Another Blockstream guy named Austin Hill expressed a lack of interest in firms that use only a portion of blockchain's potential. He said, we don't look for use cases that are just using a small part of the blockchain. So I'm guessing what he's saying is uh, your use case better be multifunctional. I don't know. I don't really get that quote. I wish Eh, it were better for the I guess they're trying to find the next killer app. They don't care about things that are just, you know, only only providing a small service to certain people. They're trying to develop something that's trying to change the world. That's the whole point of this whole project is to change the world. So in order to do big things, you have to think big. Yeah. I think there needs to be a new hashtag that Bitcoin is the killer app. I'm pretty sure the community said that a lot. But maybe it's not emboldened enough and people don't understand that Bitcoin in itself is the big deal. And then we can start building on that. But that paradigm needs to be set in stone. That transfer in value anywhere on the planet in a fraction of a second to anyone without a third party is a big deal. <laughs> I don't know. So hopefully hopefully people start to see that sooner or later. So I, I can seem less crazy in my personal crowds here in life. But nevertheless, we've kind of run out of time. Thank you for sticking with us on this episode. It's been a good one. Yep. Did you hear that yawn you just for you, you yawning in the people's faces? Weekend, man. It's been a very long week and weekend for everyone. So we thank you guys for listening and, and tuning in to the show. Corey was on vacation. Chad was on vacation. They just got back from vacation and, and needed to do the show. 
It sounds like you guys go on vacation a lot, but I don't know if they were I vacations. Well, it's not a vacation. It's just going a weekend trip to the mountains. Yeah. You live such a luxurious lifestyle. Tell took a weekend trip to Mexico. I find <laughs> that I'm the boringest. I'm the most boring of us three. But anyways. Um, so let's do the standard plugs. Thanks for listening. The Bitcoinpodcast.com. Go to the website, poke around. It's a pretty good website, built by Cello. Uh, our Twitter at the BTC pod, the BTC podcast, not bod, podcast. Uh, Cello runs the Twitter. He tweets Facebook. We are on Facebook and they have this neat little thing where you can message us. And we can message you back so we can directly talk to each other using Facebook, which is really cool. Because before that, we had our Q&A going up. There's no way you can't reach us nowadays, which is awesome. And we started screening in people, letting them into the Slack slowly but surely. Um, welcome to the Slack, by the way. Uh, if you did get in this past week. So anyways, um, anything else we need to plug? Nope. Come listen to us. Come talk to us. We'll talk back. Listen to us and talk to us. All right. Um, play the outro. <laughs>